AVXL episode 200. 200? 200! Sorry, I get excited. It was recorded on April 20th, 2023. The death of HBO Max. VLC gets RTX video super resolution. Emotiva's Basics MR1 receiver. A speed buffer that goes down to 16 hertz. And so much more. Hey, do us a favor. If you got a question, we'd love to hear from you. Email ask at avxl.com or tweet at Robert Heron or at Patrick Norton. We'd like to hear from you. And thank you. Seriously, thank you. Thank you to everyone that supports us at patreon.com slash avxl. Your monthly contributions make this podcast possible. Testing one, two, three. All right. I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Welcome to AV Accelerator Guide to the Best in Home Video and Audio Gear. No matter what your budget is, I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. Can I see ID, sir? Yeah. There you go. I've been waiting 200 episodes to say that. <laughs> Got my passport. And today oh, is the uh, grand holiday here in the United States and maybe worldwide. I had this thing at the head of the podcast this week. Uh, beware of the Ides of Max. We'll get to that in a second. All I want to say is uh, I want to offer my condolences to Mr. Heron for the impending departure of the Oakland A's. Ah, that's cool. Oakland. I heard they bought some land in Nevada somewhere. Nevada, so. yeah. yeah. Good for them. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. I'm over yeah. it. I burned my hat in the backyard earlier. I'm not bitter at all. <laughs> May 23rd, HBO Max and Disco Plus will become Max. And part of me was reading about this, kind of freaking out, right? So... Warner Brothers Discovery merger uh, is the golden era of HBO over. Is the golden era of HBO Max over? It's hard to tell. If you're not an HBO Max person, uh, or you're not a movie person, or you're not a premium TV person, you might have wondered what was going on here, or care, or maybe you do care, maybe you don't care. But uh, so HBO Max has been HBO series and movies and Max Originals, and then they have a ton of stuff from the Warner Brothers back catalog, the DC Universe, Cartoon Network, the Turner Library, that's Turner Classic Movies, uh, if you want to think of it that way, Looney Tunes, Adult Swim. So literally everything from some world-class classic movies right up to Rick and Morty. Uh, it is a lot of content. It is broad and wide and free. And, uh, well, not free as in you get it for free, but there's just an incredible array of content there. Max is, in theory, going to be all of HBO Max plus Discovery Plus or Disco Plus, as I like to think of it. So the Discovery Channel, HGTV, Food Network, TLC, ID, and who knows what all else is going to lump in there, but a whole lot of Discovery-owned content. One change about this is kind of frustrating to me. Uh, 4K Ultra HD will only be available on Max Ultimate Ad Free, which is going to cost 20 bucks a month. So if you want 4K, which as I look over at my giant 100-inch screen, I do, uh, you're going to spend an extra 4 bucks a month compared to the 16 bucks a month you're spending right now. The upside to this is Warner Brothers Discovery says you're going to get more 4K like more, more big, fat, fun, awesome 4K content, including Game of Thrones. Uh, I'll make my humors about dark episodes later. The Last of Us, Harry Potter, The Lord of the Rings, The Dark Knight trilogy, and more. This is all good. Variety says, they had a great write-up on this. We'll put a link in the show notes. Um, quote, all Warner Brothers movies released this year and in the future will all be available in 4K UHD when they arrive on Max following their theatrical windows. So that's the announcement there, right? And Zaslav, the, the, the guy that's running the Warner Brothers Discovery show, is a big believer in theatrical releases, and we've seen a lot more theatrical releases out of Amazon and Netflix recently. 
So current HBO Max subscribers are going to get Max at the same price. It's basically just going to convert right over. Uh, 16 bucks a month ad free, 10 bucks a month with ads. Um, you get two concurrent streams. I believe HBO Max gave you three concurrent streams for 16 bucks a month, which may not matter to you unless you have children in the house or you know a lot of traveling humanity in your existence. Uh, Max is supposed to keep all your HBO Max settings along with your continue watching and your listed videos, which to me is a big deal. Variety got some audio quality deets that I haven't seen mentioned elsewhere. So basically, the ad light right the, the the cheaper version that has advertisements you get two concurrent streams i.e you and your wife can hide in different parts of the house and watch what you want to watch or the kids can watch something while you watch something else it's 1080p max no offline downloads 5.1 surround sound okay the ad free version 16 bucks a month we mentioned that before two concurrent streams 1080p hd 30 offline downloads for when you're traveling 5.1 surround sound Max Ultimate ad free, i.e. the expensive one at 20 bucks a month, 200 bucks a year, and you get a discount if you buy by the year. You get four concurrent streams, you get 4K Ultra HD when available, 100 offline downloads, and Dolby Atmos. So if you want the really good sound and the really good video, you're going to be paying 20 bucks a month for this, uh, which is not surprising because, quite frankly, uh, Warner Brothers Discovery has a gigantic pile of debt to pay off, and I will expect them to continue to figure out ways to make more money out of everything they have, not just Max or HBO Max or all of the above. I really like the pricing on that in terms of the yearly pricing. That gets the the, yeah. the per month cost of it down even lower than the traditional cost would be otherwise. The only thing that I'm looking at with those specs is when they say 4K Ultra HD, I wish that was a little more specific in terms of is that <laughs> actually high dynamic range? Does that include anything like that? Does that include a wide color palette uh, like DCI P3 color you would get with something like Dolby Atmos or is it or Dolby Vision, excuse me, or, or is say. this just simply upconverted 1080p? So HBO Max does have 4K HDR titles and Atmos titles currently. It's a or real vision. kind of it's well, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, now we're both doing it. Yeah. In any case, so in terms of Dolby Vision, Dolby Atmos, you've got uh, I'm looking at a, a list here on HD Report: 8-bit Christmas, Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, Ultimate Edition, Black Adam, Cry Macho, Dune, Elvis, Godzilla versus Kong, Holiday Harmony. House of the Dragon season one in the Heights, Judas and the Black Messiah, Kimmy, I could go on and on and on. It's probably, I don't think there's a hundred titles in 4K UHD currently. So it would be nice to have more, but it is Dolby Vision. Okay. So that implies then a, a wider color palette using more, yeah. more lifelike colors. And that's to me, yeah. especially with the current performance of some of the premium TVs out there, that's something I really want from a service. And that's why I have come to appreciate services like Netflix so much. For that price, yeah. Uh, in particular, for their it's 4K delivery and that that extra punch you get with that service. It's funny. One of the quotes that came out uh, from J.B. Perrett, uh, the Warner Brothers Discovery president and CEO of Global Streaming and Games. We all love HBO. It's a brand that's been built over five decades to stand for edgy, groundbreaking entertainment for adults. But it's not exactly where parents would most eagerly drop off their kids. And yet Warner Brothers Discovery has some of the best-known kids' characters, animation, and brands in the industry. Not surprisingly, the category has not met the true potential of HBO Max. So basically they're saying that America's parents are scared of HBO Max and they'll make more money off of Max, which I find peculiar, but I'm not a you know executive at a gigantic company making zillions of dollars a year. Um, mostly, I, I like that Perrette said HBO needs to say HBO. They've delivered some of the most extraordinary. They've 
you know, made some duds too, but they've delivered some of the most extraordinary programming uh, of the last 20 years, the last 10 years, whatever group you want to measure it. They've, they've made a lot of amazing stuff. So hopefully they will continue to be able to do that. Nice. Hey, I was yeah. checking out the good old YouTube channel for HDTV Test and the wonderful Mr. Vincent Tio, who did a review of the new Samsung S90C QD OLED review. This is the more value version of the S95C that was released a couple weeks ago. And Mr. Tio uh, reveals mostly good results with Samsung's quote-unquote value QD OLED option for 2023. I suggest anyone interested in this particular TV to check out his YouTube video. What was interesting to me was that the build quality seems better than last year, and that also incorporated pretty decent audio performance for a very thin TV. Uh, he gives it the highly recommended award, but he did mention there are odd color quirks related to DCI P3 and BT2020 color that you may experience with some of your 4K HDR content. Also, there were some very, uh, I'd say, classic errors with some video processing that will likely be addressed with future firmware updates. And this one kind of historic issue with Samsung TVs and standard definition video where it forces overscan on that 480p content. Uh, that's an hmm. old issue I've seen on uh, going back years now. And it still seems to be creeping in every now and then. And again, uh, this will hopefully be something that will just simply be addressed with a future firmware update. But if you're going to be on the cutting edge, he does give it the thumbs up and it appears to be a wonderful set for what it is. But there are definitely a few things I would like to see tweaked and fixed before uh, I would consider purchasing it. Can we go back to the auto color oddities with DCI P3 and, and BT2020? I mean, are, is this something that should cause us to wait to see if they are fixed before purchasing or are they just minor things? I put it in with the other hiccups that are there with like in particular video processing. I don't think for most people, you may, depending on what content you're looking at, see artifacts, right. in particular, something like a banding artifact or some kind of additional color compression, which shouldn't be there uh, when dealing with these newer formats of, of a wider color palette, in particular P3 or, or BT2020. And it really is just something that, at least for this last generation of the QD OLED panels, mm -hmm. it just seems to be an issue that's there and they have yet to address it. So... This is something I, again, while he gives it that that thumbs up rating, his recommended rating for this particular TV, it is something where I am kind of just, I, I would wait and see. Wait and see. Yeah. And yeah. You'll, you'll save a little money, hopefully, considering this is a brand new release, so you're paying MSRP right. if you went to get it right now. I would want to see at least one or two firmware updates. <laughs> also, if you were an early adopter for the S90B uh, or the S95B from last year uh, in particular, I don't think there was an S90B actually. Uh, anyway, that one, as the firmware updates were applied over the months, it ended up taking away some of the shine of that particular panel in terms of its peak light output and other issues uh, that were, well, not issues, but things that changed compared to when it first launched. And uh, this will hopefully not be the case with the 2023 models, including the S95C and now the S90C. But again, it's one of these things where I hope Samsung does release some timely firmware updates that address all of this and make it just a solid product for anyone looking to save a little money uh, for that, that killer quantum dot OLED technology for its, in particular, the uh, pure color that it can generate. 
especially when you're talking about those newer formats like HDR, where you're, you have a wider color palette to work with that's more natural and realistic. But uh, little quirks, little quirks are there, but otherwise a thumbs up overall. And it's a, a wonderful review, and I highly recommend checking it out, and I'll be sure to put a link to that in our show notes. And cool. looking at some of the uh, other news related to video players, at least, VLC added support for NVIDIA's RTX video super resolution technology. You can actually check this out. I'll put a link to this in the show notes as well, but over on the videoland.org website, which is the home of the VLC video player, you will see in their blog that they uh, posted hey, they now have a version of the VLC player which will take advantage of your RTX 40 or 30 series GPUs, tap into some AI upscaling technology, and take lower resolution content up to 4K on an appropriate display. And using this AI basically will allow for reductions in compression artifacts and improving video sharpness and clarity. And for anyone rolling with a 4K monitor or, or more pixels, this will be good if you're watching lower resolution video in terms of, you know, taking advantage of hardware you already have in order to make that video look even better on a high resolution monitor. There's also a related video image setting within the NVIDIA drivers you want to check as well. Uh, under adjust video image settings, there's actually a checkbox option for RTX video enhancement with a super resolution checkbox and then a quality adjustment from one to four. I would recommend starting at one if you're not running on the most latest and greatest NVIDIA RTX series card. Otherwise, if you are running something, say, like a 4070, 80, 90, or a 30, 80, 90, go ahead and crank it up to four, and that should give you the best quality with minimal impact, especially when you're just watching video. And it's uh, it's just nice. It's nice to see that function. I know it's built into Chrome, I believe, already, so if you wanted to use it there and you're watching videos with a Chrome browser, but if you're into a standalone video player like VLC, which is my favorite overall in terms of just a standalone play everything utility, uh, this does incorporate that video enhancement technology if you're rolling fairly recent NVIDIA video hardware. Good to know. All right, shifting gears from the things I did not see coming department, Emotiva's announced the basics MR1 Cinema Receiver. This is a serious box. Um, and also, you know, they've, they've done a lot of more high-end stuff over at Emotima and Home Theater. But this is an actual 11.2 channel Atmos DTSX receiver. It's $2,000, which sounds like a lot, but compared to what, uh, you know, a 9-channel receiver that can do 4 channels of Atmos costs from a lot of the competitors is not that high 13.2 channel processing 11 channels of amplification and it's you know it's got to feed what you got and grow kind of sensibility right you can run a 2.1 system a 7.1 surround setup a 5.1 surround setup or you can do 7.2.4 that's seven channels plus two subovers plus four overhead atmos channels or 5.2.4 atmos or dtsx so you can do a full 13 channels and two subwoofer outputs or 13.2 if you have an additional two channel amplifier and I have this like note here, power question mark. Yes, uh, two channels driven, right? Which is the kind of number you've heard me kind of go off on this ad nauseum. So 
let me just say, in terms of actual power numbers, this is pretty impressive, and this is pretty open. Two channels driven, 160 watts into 8 ohms, 290 watts into 4 ohms. 11 channels driven, 100 watts into 8 ohms, 130 watts into 4 ohms. Would we like to see 300 watts into 4 ohms? Sure. Do you need it? No, you really don't. And I was like, hmm, distortion numbers. If you keep scrolling down on, on the webpage over at emotv.com, uh, these measurements, these 11 channels driven, 100 watts and 130 watts into 4 ohms, are 0.1% THD. Is that going to be something that gets the people over at Audio Science Review excited? No. Is it vastly better than a lot of the, you know, home theater receivers out there? Yeah. Uh, do most of the home theater receivers out there go anywhere near this level of detail? No. So props to Emotiva for doing that. Um, EmoQ automatic room correction. This is something I always get nervous about with any sort of in-house or proprietary room correction software. So I'm curious how well this will work. Hopefully it's fantastic. They got some interesting stuff in here. Uh, the ability to use the visual interface that has the graphs of the measured and corrected room response, which I always like. Uh, channels can now be tested and the results adjusted individually in real time over live audio and video if you want to do that. Filling out the rest of the specs, uh, six HDMI 2.0B inputs. It's got, uh, well, duh, 4K UHD HDR, Dolby Vision, HDR 10 Plus, HLG, Atmos DTSX. It has a backlit remote, which I really appreciate having dealt with some really big remotes with too many buttons with no backlights. So you're like fumbling for your phone or you keep a, you know, <laughs> if you keep a flashlight in the end table on the sofa by the home theater, you know why I'm excited about the backlit remote. Right. I don't particularly care about the lack of 8K because I think 8K is so far in my future, it doesn't bother me. How Gamers are you feeling about 8K? About okay. That Gamers. Be, especially for 4K 120. That's the main issue right there. If there's a lack of 8K support built into this unit, right. then that also implies that there's no 4K 120. So if you're into the latest game consoles and you're trying to run say like Dolby Vision at 120 hertz uh, on your latest and greatest game. Uh, the, this is not the receiver for you. That's that's a bit disappointing. I, I would kind of hoping this is all sort of behind us and we're getting into the second or third generation <laughs> of these chipsets. But it, it seems like it, there has been a struggle for the last year, year and a half to really nail down good right. chipsets for AV receivers that or can do any this. chipsets. Yeah, right. it always seems like there's quirks or it's like, oh, we uh, we thought it was ready to go, but it's it needs a firmware update here or there. So maybe this is something they can, they can update down the road, but the fact that they're not mentioning it all and they're labeling their HDMI inputs as 2.0B, you know, it's great for everything except for that specific in, uh, use case of somebody rolling the latest game console, wanting to do in excess of, say, 4K 120 in particular, or faster, right. for that matter. What's weird, right, because in theory, you can't do HDR Plus through 2.0B. So that's an interesting question. Well, they claim it's supported. So I, I think for video, for home cinema, and this yeah. is called a cinema receiver. It's a perfect product. It, it it provides all the amplification channels you need. It supports all of the features you want. Uh, the room audio correction is a little bit of an unknown because it's, you know, house made or at least something different from what we've experienced from other brands. Uh, so that right. will be something to I'll be paying attention to for any reviews that come out in the near future. And also, too, I, I'm curious to see if they have an upgrade path for folks that want to do, say, 4K120 with a game console. 
uh, right. down the road with this. If not, then it, it just simply is what it is. And at that price point, that that's not terrible for an 11 channel no. amplified system up no. to 13 channel 13.2 channels of uh, total uh, processing low distortion I again for the cinema lover or the, the audio lover in general the, this looks like a solid product there's just certain features for certain certain use cases where I'd be like ah I'm gonna shop around a little bit I mean to put this into context right going to Denon their 11.2 channel receiver the avr x 6700h is three thousand dollars the 13.2 channel receiver is forty six hundred dollars i guess the 4800h which is 9.4 that's twenty five hundred dollars still yeah um, the emotiva just looks yeah. like a screaming bargain then even mm-hmm. more so there you have it something to think about from the people at avxl uh, RSL Speedwoofer 12S, again, from the I had no idea this was coming department. Actually, I don't think anybody did. Um, those crazy kids at RSL have a new Speedwoofer. The 12S is <laughs> duh, bigger than the $449 Speedwoofer 10S Mark II. And at $799, it's $350 more. It's also a lot bigger. So one of the advantages of the 10, uh, the 10S Mark II or the 10S is it's relatively small. It's 15 by 15 and a half by 15 and three quarter inches. I apologize for our international listeners for not having the millimeters on that. The 12S is much bigger. Uh, it's 22 and three quarter inches high. It's 22 and a quarter inches wide, and it's 18.875 inches deep. So it's almost 19 inches deep. Now compared to the gigantic, you know subwoofer that's sitting over in my home theater to my left those are pretty reasonable specs um especially when you realize it's plus or minus 3 db from 16 hertz to 200 hertz which makes it a pretty serious contender for not just music but over the top home theater that's a pretty serious response for the money um those are anechoic numbers they're not cea 2010 or you know what they call room mode numbers Put this into perspective, the 10S Mark II is plus or minus 3 dB from like 22 to 200 hertz. Um, and uh, the folks at RSL say the 10S Mark II is 18 to 200 hertz with room game. You know, we've talked about the CA2010 numbers on that. It's the same basic RSL compression uh, uh, waveguide, the slot port vent in the rear, which is interesting. And if you want to learn more about that, uh, RSL speakers is the best place, or rslspeakers.com is the best place to kind of take a look at what they're doing there and how it behaves. The DSP, I thought, was an interesting choice. It's doing some stuff. Ha ha. Uh, there's an LED display that, you know, basically tells you the volume or if it's muted or what DSP mode it's in. It shuts off. Basically, you hit the remote, you adjust it. Uh, it turns off after 10 seconds. So it's got reference, music, movie, and boundary modes. So reference does minimal EQ processing. It's supposed to be a natural response for the ideal transient performance. Uh, music has a shelf response for extension. But they're trying to have a lot of impact in that upper bass where the majority of your musical instruments end up at the bottom end. Um, They bump the output between 25 and 35 hertz to give you bigger, heavier, low-frequency response at low levels for movies. And the boundary setting is, quote, neighbor-friendly, unquote. And they they reduce the lower frequencies, i.e. the stuff that carries really well through the neighbor's wall to the next neighbor's wall to the next neighbor's wall if you're living in an apartment building. Um, ton of range on the crossover frequency. They've got 30 to 250 hertz, so you should be able to match it with just about any speaker on the planet, even if your speaker goes pretty low. Um, you know, some of the other specs, if you want to get specky, 
500 watt amplifier, Kevlar reinforced paper comb with aluminum dust cap. Big aluminum dust cap, I should note. Uh, I almost think like that aluminum dust cap helps to stiffen the paper cone. Um, big old double spider and stacked magnets. This is a extremely well-built subwoofer in terms of the speaker itself. Again, super curious to see CEA 2010 numbers for this in terms of the maximum or peak volume, which to give you an idea of how big of a room it will power. It should be a beast. So props to the crew at RSL. Nice. Very nice. Yeah. Hey, I was uh, drooling over, well, not drooling. I was doing a little window shopping <laughs> over at the Sony Pro section of their website for their displays uh -oh. in particular. And there are plenty of things there to drool over, I will say. But one that jumped out at me that's a new update, I should say, to a product they've had for a while is something called the Spatial Reality Display. And the... The model number is the ELF-SR2, and there is a related YouTube video, which I will link to, as well as their press release for this particular display. Uh, this is a 27-inch 4K resolution display system that has a unique wedge-shaped design that sits on your desk, and what it is yeah. is uh, effectively a glasses-free 3D system. It is stereoscopic 3D in a sense. Uh, basically, they use a camera system that tracks your face and your eyes in real time. And then using the built-in algorithms on this TV, uh, they're able to precisely, by tracking you, increase the sweet spot of the 3D effect that this display can produce uh, using its lenticular lens system. And this is clearly for, if you look at the video or the press release, you'll see that this is mostly directed toward business and industry visualizations, but it's a pretty cool looking piece of technology, no pun intended. Uh, and if there is a reason that you need some glasses free 3D in your visualizations, this looks like a pretty sweet display to do it with. I want to say the price was well under $5,000. Uh, it, oh, it's wow. definitely not cheap, but but for what it is, it's just, uh, just a unique look into some of the pro displays that Sony offers for a variety of different use cases. And in this case, uh, like I said, if you need to visualize your, your object or whatever in 3D without glasses, or maybe if you're doing demonstrations and you needed to show somebody else and you, well, you're doing I, this in a more... I guess office style environment. Either way, it's a cool. I, li I like how there's there's like CAD CAM art, the classic architecture, because it seems like all this stuff is always early adopted by architects. There's a doctor looking at a 3D display of a heart, and then there's a couple of what look like fancy and expensive necklaces <laughs> in virtual display in a retail environment. Totally, I could see so. retail environments taking advantage of this. Really, just as an eye grabber, literally, it's like just by walking by it, 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 and because of the way the camera can track a face and the eyes of the person near that display and increasing that sweet spot, it, it makes it so that you would have just by getting close to it, you you perceive that three D effect. And I, I have to make a disclosure. Go ahead. <laughs> I just wrapped up uh, a social media campaign at work. Uh, that involved Sony retail, but I had no idea this monitor existed, and I had nothing to do with the selection of it for this program. But in case somebody, you know, gets upset, I swear, I have nothing to do with this, and I have disclosed my relationship at work to Sony. <laughs> there you go. This isn't a new piece of tech. This is something they've been working on for years, and this is just the latest version of it with, so far, the largest screen size at 27 inches and the 4K resolution. And it, nice. it's just a unique piece of tech that Sony has crafted for a very specific use case, but 
Uh, like you said, it, it could be more than just business and industry. It could be also be, well, I guess True. retail is business. I would love to when spend some time right. with this, but is it really practical for anything I'm doing personally? At the moment, no. But for somebody out there who needs that kind of visualization in 3D. Well, it's always kind of cool to see this stuff when it works. It's It really is kind of a total gee whiz moment. It is interesting. I'm trying to think of the name. I guess it's lenticular. You know those tilted cards you used to get as a kid uh, where it would have yeah. an image that would look like 3D-ish by simply tilting the card and it would give you different views. That's exactly what they're doing here, but in a sense doing it with a head tracking system and an eye tracking system right. so that it can adjust and aim that those those stereoscopic images right at your face in a more uh, effective way that really creates uh, ideally a larger sweet spot so you don't have to just be right at one specific position for your head in order to get right. the the appropriate effect for this it's neat i love the wedge shaped design it, it's something yeah. about it it's just like i would love to have that sitting on my desk for some reason but uh it's pretty slick yeah quite justify it <laughs> I'll, I'll get. Also, what's the refresh rate? <laughs> what's the refresh rate for my gaming? I'm Can I get 175 frames per second on Doom? <laughs> I'm telling you, this, 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 I don't. I don't know if it would be good for any of those applications, but you know, it's still, it is something I am Man keeping an eye on. I am personally just looking forward to getting an OLED display for my first desktop computer monitor mm. at some point soon. Hopefully this year. I finally see models that I am uh, interested in, and. Uh, and the prices are still pretty premium for what that is, though. So anyway. Yeah. Some of those OLED monitor, desktop monitor prices are kind of eye-scorching. Um, you found something interesting from the ever-so-awesome Dr. Sean Olive. Uh, he's a senior fellow at Harman, big audio researcher, past president of uh, the Audio Engineering Society. He's got a PhD in sound, pound sound, as he says uh in his twitter bio i sent out this tweet it says this seems like a useful calculator to determine whether a certain combination of headphone and amplifier can play sufficiently loud he had a link to headphone honesty's headphone i i headphone i want to say headphone honesty but it's headphone honesty's headphone power calculator um it is an interesting concept right you can pick out a set of headphones you love you know or you can putting custom settings, the headphone sensitivity, the impedance, the loudness you're going for, and it will give you an idea of whether some mobile devices or laptop output or headphone amplifiers or DAC amp combos, you know, how it's going to, how loud essentially it will drive those. This is interesting. Um, at photoc.com slash headphone dash power dash calculator. Uh, one, I wish it had more headphones listed. And two, I wish it had more uh, amps listed. That said, honestly, outside, of, when you're talking especially about any kind of headphone amp or, or DAC amp combo these days, the vast majority of them um, have enough juice to power anything except for really serious planar magnetic headphones like almost any headphone app these days will play loud enough to damage your hearing uh case in point when you look at the basic device they have listed there sensitivity's 98 uh decibels oh wow. is 32 ohms and they put the loudness at 110 db right yeah. um that's that's like seconds of that will turn will just permanently destroy your hearing and it's kind of funny, right? Because when you put it that, it requires 16 milliwatts. So if I drop that down to a 85 dB, it goes to one milliwatt. Um, it is not unusual these days to have amplifiers that will produce vastly, 
vastly higher amounts uh, of energy. Um, I'm not using the terms properly because I'm a little tired. But, you know, when I look at like a JDS Labs Element 3, which is my current headphone amplifier and DAC, at 600 ohms, which is an incredible power-sucking set of headphones, it'll deliver 146 milliwatts. Uh, 32 ohms, it'll deliver 1.3 watts. Oh, geez. So... Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Now this is a this is a fairly powerful headphone amplifier, but there are a lot of fairly powerful headphone amplifiers out there, and even something that'll deliver a hundred milliwatts into a 32 ohm load, which is pretty typical for the vast majority of headphones being sold today, it will permanently scorch your hearing if you're not careful. So I just want to say that. Um, so am I correct in thinking then that this headphone power calculator would be good if you're considering? an upgrade for an amplifier, your headphone amplifier, and it would keep you from, say, buying something well in excess of what you really need. Well, here's here's the, the, the dark, dirty secret of headphone amplifiers is the vast majority of headphone amplifiers, especially the ones targeted at audiophiles, have way more power okay. than anybody can possibly use, right? Even some of the smaller portable ones, um, you know, that caught you know in that sort of hundred dollar range will give you more than enough power uh, here's like my running joke right um a lot of the headphone amplifiers you know like there's there's a, a usb one i'm thinking of in particular um the only way to control the volume on it was through windows or with your audio playback app and i had to adjust windows down about 70 percent so i could have more than like four clicks of audio range between soft and, oh dear God, my ears hurt. Right. Now I will admit my ears are a little more sensitive. I don't have golden ears. I just don't like really loud stuff, which is funny for a guy that spent a lot of time listening to punk rock bands with his head halfway stuffed into a bass cabinet. But um, I like to be able to have a wide range of volume. That, that's one of the reasons, one of the things that fascinates me about JDS Labs when they did the Element 3, um, they put auto gain into that. So as you turn the volume up, uh, it automatically, as you get to, as, as the knob approaches zero dB as you're turning the knob around, um, it goes from low gain to high mode automatically. And in real world terms, instead of having like five or 10 degrees of the knob before I go from I can't hear it to painfully loud, I get to go through multiple turns on the knob. Uh, the encoder that they use in that, uh, the, basically they have a digital encoder in place of a potentiometer, has 255 steps. If you've ever gone from too soft to too loud in like one step of a volume adjustment on a laptop, I assure you, or a phone happens to be all the time, 255 steps is a lot of adjustment by comparison. Plus it basically has the low gear and the high gear on that one. And I'm, I'm not doing this to promote JDS Labs, you know, although I love the crew over there and they make amazing products and they make some incredibly affordable audio products. I just want to point out that, you know, there are people that are chasing louder headphone amplifiers, but the reality is, is there's maybe a half dozen or a dozen headphones on the planet that actually require this kind of wattage. You know, I, mean? I can take, I can take, you know, the output, the headphone output from this amplifier, connect it to a set of, you know, you know, basically the, the, the tectons that used to be in the lab that are like 91, 93 dB efficient, those, those mini tower speakers, uh, the tecton mini lures, I can make those hit at least 90 decibels with this headphone amplifier. You know what I mean? And those are, that is a 10 inch woofer and a, I think a one inch tweeter and way more mass to consume energy than anything you're going to strap to either side of your skull. So and I that's think this for is for something designed to power a pair of headphones. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. That's pretty impressive. There you go. <laughs>
you know, but but it's it's not uncommon. And one of the things the the folks at JDS Labs told me recently is they have people that want more power, which also makes me wonder how many people have destroyed their hearing or how many headphones there are out there that actually you know require staggering amounts of 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 voltage to drive them. Um, but it, it conversation for another day. But an interesting thing to look at when you start when you start looking at some of the head, pretty much all the headphone amplifiers out there these days. I notice that uh, my hearing sensitivity changes throughout the day sometimes. Uh, or it's like sometimes early in the morning, I find I have to turn things down a little bit. But after right. I've been up a few hours, then suddenly it's like, okay, I can put it back to my normal range of where I normally leave. Because uh, I'm speaking specifically as a headphone user on my personal workstation. And it's like I have it set up at a certain volume level. It works 90% of the time. But there are times where I need to tweak it down a little bit just because it seems like, oh, I'm, I'm a little extra sensitive right now in terms of my hearing right. uh, for whatever reason. It could be the vitamins. I will uh, <laughs> I'll leave it at that. But it's just nice to have a range in a, a in this case, uh, I use a, a physical knob on my desktop yeah. that allows me to tweak that in very very discreet levels, uh, very granular levels. And it makes it nice, nice for just usability. And I, I would like that in any product I'm considering. I never want to be in that situation where I have like two clicks and it's, it's too high or too low. I'd like something that just spreads it out or at least provides an option somehow within that to, to help correct a system that may be limited like that within a computer environment or whatever. So I will say one of the things I love about the the Headphonesty calculator, as you punch in different values into it, it goes from green to red onto whether, for example, a Galaxy S5 or an LG V20 will power those headphones. Um, and it, it'll also give you an idea, you know what I mean, if you go, there's a ton, there's an absolute ton of 32-ohm headphones out there. The average headphone manufacturer is making headphones that can be driven off of a phone, even though most phones don't have headphone jacks anymore, right? But they're they're going for fairly efficient 32-ohm. But if you bump that impedance up to like 256, which is a lot of professional headphones, or up higher, which is a, a, a some rare but occasionally stumbled across high-end headphones... It gives you a real idea of how it impacts it and also the sensitivity impacts the output volume or how much power it takes to hit that. You know, visually, I, I got to say props to Headphonesty. It's a clean and thoughtful design. So props to them for that. Nice. Hey, let's take a quick moment to thank all of our patrons on patreon.com slash avxcel. Uh, I'm probably going to do a hangout. Rob's editing. He's got a crazy week next week. Rob's editing. I'll probably do a hangout on the 27th of April. Take a gander at patreon.com slash avxcel to find out what the deal is on that. I'm also, uh, well, just keep an eye on patreon.com slash avxcel. And seriously, thank you to everybody that's been with us. As you may remember, we've been thanking people who have been with us since the beginning at patreon.com slash avxl. Uh, Alex Shea, Otto Rama, Timothy Lieb, Craig Meyer, Justin, and Irumbo Mateen have been with us from February 12th to March 19th, 2018. And it is awesome that if you have stuck with us this long, and we appreciate you, and thank you for being a supporter of AVXL. Yeah, we do. Hey, we got a great email. We talked about scaling classic consoles and how to get them onto your modern TV. We got a great email from Nathan, one of our viewers, listeners, viewers, people, one of our people. Nathan's one of our people. We got a great email from Nathan about retro consoles on an HDTV. 
He says, hey, Patrick and Robert, in response to your viewer looking to connect their old consoles to their modern HDMI TVs, there are a ton of options. There are HDMI modifications, flash carts, optical drive emulators for most systems from the NES to the PlayStation 2. There are also FPGA recreations of the console, such as the retro USB AVS 720p outputting NES or the analog line of products, including NES, SNES, and Sega Genesis. <laughs> Sega Genesis. I laugh every time I hear that. Another option is to RGB mod your console consoles to output a video signal called RGB that is better than composite or S-video. On most systems, this can be achieved if you know your way around the soldering iron. Once the system is RGB modded, you can purchase an HD RetroVision component cable and either play the system on a CRT TV in higher quality than you ever had before, or you can get a scaler such as the RetroTank line of products to convert that beautiful analog signal to HDMI. The OSSC is also a good scaler, but it's less user-friendly. The advantage of the OSSC and RetroTrink products are that they are designed for gaming instead of video and have little to no lag. In the retro gaming community, we measure this with either the Lou Bagnar Lag Tester or the Time Slew. Currently, both RetroTrink and Video Game Perfection, whom are behind the OSSC, are working on 4K variants of their scalers with HDMI inputs for scaling. Another really solid option that most hardcore retro gamers would probably recommend if you were just getting into it today would be to go get a Mr. FPGA. It's a project similar to the RetroPie, except it's all based on cycle-accurate FPGA programming. MrAddons.com is a great place to learn about it. The Mr. FPGA can be configured to output analog and HDMI signals and can run mini cycle-accurate FPGA cores, NES through PS1, and mini arcade cores such as Alien vs. Predator. If you're into the idea of building a retro pie, I would build a Mr. FPGA. Mike Chi of RetroTink also has line doubling HDMI cables called the Rad 2X cables if you're just looking for a lag-free experience with a specific system. So, says Nathan, it sort of depends how far you want to get into it and how many consoles you want to play. Building a Mr. FPGA is typically less expensive than decking out one specific system with an HDMI mod and an optical drive emulator. Robert, Mike T also has a feature in the RetroTank 5X scaler where he enables scan lines to reproduce the CRT look, but then enables HDR mode to brighten the screen so it doesn't look too dim with the scan lines. It makes a pretty solid CRT look on a 4K OLED. That's cool. Free consumer yeah, it's pretty crazy, right? Uh, free consumer CRTs found on the curb with component input are also a great way to go. Nathan says thanks, and I got to say thank you to Nathan because that was an amazing, amazing info dump. I just so. want Donkey Kong Country to look better. That's all. And anytime <laughs> I hear the the Sega Genesis in particular, they had that 32X add-on, and that was one of the first consoles I actually played Doom on. I was so used to you know playing on. PCs up to that point, but I, I remember renting all of that hardware and playing all weekend until our uh, we had to take it all back. <laughs> Always cool. Oh my good goodness. memories. Good times. Yeah. Nathan also adds, there's a company with a really good track record called Pixel FX that's working on a 4K video game scaler with a modular switcher where you could add modules for SCART, Composite, S-Video, Component, and HDMI. Currently, most of us either use the G-Comp Auto Switcher or GS Cart Switcher, if our systems are analog modded, but PixelFX is trying to give us the ability to mix and match across different source types. The newest movement retro gaming is very low cost HDMI mods using lower end FPGAs to simply output a digital 240 or 480p. So far there is one low cost solution for the N64 and one for the Wii. The idea is that when these next gen 4K scalers come out, we can have the scalers manipulate the digital signals from these lower cost HDMI mods then upgrade the scalers over time. Seriously, Nathan, you're awesome. 
and thank you so much. What are you watching, Rob? What has your eyeballs singing with joy this week? I'm trying to think. Well, the racing season is keeping me busy between Formula One, which I think is coming off their break uh, this weekend, perhaps. In addition to MotoGP, they were just at the Circuit of the Americas in Texas and a little bit of NASCAR, too. They they do a crazy dirt track race at this one track. It's, it's just a strange spectacle to see these cars that are normally on pavement now racing hmm. part-time in the dirt. And anyway, there's that. And then, of course, uh, on the gaming side of things, I am just thoroughly addicted to something called the DMZ Beta, which is part of the Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 Warzone 2.0. <laughs> season three and it's basically my constant experiment with using the dlss technology uh part of the nvidia driver and hardware package that gives me improved frame rates and visual fidelity i have actually just recently turned it all off and noticed that i'm getting pretty good frame rates without it with fewer artifacts which is kind of nice to see. It's a terribly fun game if you've never messed around with something like a, an intense tactical multiplayer extraction shooter as far as games go. DMZ Beta is pretty cool. And keep in mind that you do not have to purchase the whole Call of Duty series for, you know, 70 or or $100, depending on which version you want to get everything. If you want to try out just something like their battle royale side of like warzone 2.0 or in particular the dmz beta which for me is just like i said it, it is just an intense multiplayer experience with a good tactical element to it and for that you can literally spend 10 bucks and have a great time and play it season and season to season with a low cost investment for that but if you're into the skins and the look of the game in terms of your character and other things like that, they want your money and they will take it gladly to provide that as well. <laughs> I'm not so much into that. I'm more into just, yeah, the multiplayer tactics and hooking up with cool people, which the system makes it pretty easy to do in terms of finding other people that you come across and being able to hook up with them at a later date. I find it all very fun. And, and in particular... DMZ is a little less crazy than Warzone, but it has just the heart-pounding action of you trying to survive and get the hell out of a, a of a scenario on a giant multiplayer map with, you know, easily up to 100 players. <laughs> it can get nuts. <laughs> Good times. Nuts is okay. Yeah, man. Oh, man. it's uh, it, March has been April. This is April. Uh, March and April have been kind of an embarrassment of riches in terms of television around here. We just wrapped The Mandalorian with the family. Um, the Marvelous Ms. Maisel, season five, just started. Succession uh, is absolutely terrifying. Uh, if you've ever watched that show, it gets even more extreme in the in the final season that's running right now. Ted Lasso is going on right now. And we were also, before... The Mandalorian and the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and Succession and Ted Lasso fired up. We started rewatching uh, Battlestar Galactica with the kids, which has been interesting to revisit because I have not watched it in forever. But, uh, you know, the first couple seasons definitely hold up. Uh, I'm I'm kind of curious how I feel about the last couple seasons of Battlestar Galactica. Uh, and also, Fooly Cooly, FLCL is one of my favorite uh, animes. And my oldest just started watching that. So it's fun to watch him react to the insanity. Nice. What's going on in that one? Nice, yeah. man. Oh my goodness, we mentioned it before, but if you got a question about hardware or software or streaming or how to make your stuff look better, 
or sound better, whether it's home theater or headphones or your television or that annoying 32-inch TV you just can't pry out of the kitchen. Gosh darn it. We're here for you. Do us a favor. Email ask at avxcel.com. Tweet at Robert Heron, at Patrick Norton, or at avxcel. And uh, we're here for you. And thank you one more time to all of our patrons. If you want to become a patron, patreon.com slash avxcel is the place to go. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Patrick Norton. And I am Robert Heron. We'll catch you next time on AVXL.